Thanks for joining us here at New Song Church, where we're helping people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you have any questions at all, or just want to learn more about us as a church, you can go to mynsc.org happenings. It's the best way to stay connected with us throughout the week. And now, check out this week's sermon. I want to give God glory for giving me the voice to speak to you today. I've been um, overdoing it just a little bit with Pastors University and several other engagements, and so I just rested my voice this week, and, and sure enough, all three services, the Lord has given me the ability to be heard, which is a, always a great blessing. Um, I love the topic that I was given uh, to talk to you about, and that was foreign missions. Last week, we spoke here about local missions, and let me just say one word about new song. You know, y'all are just actually an anomaly to be such a large church in a small town of Plymouth, but it's more than that. There's a huge heart and a family at the center of what's going on here, an amazing couple, as you know, Justin and Jennifer, and then their children, and I am close to Isaac, their oldest son, who is a college student at Bethany. In fact, he drives me to the airport every now and then in New Orleans. We solve all the world's problems together as we drive. But he's told me all about you, and all about Plymouth, and Pizza Hut, and all those <laughs> magnificent restaurants that are here. But my heart is just fastened around this ministry, this church, and your pastors. And they are truly, indeed, um, top drawer people that I've learned. been around hundreds and hundreds of pastors, and they're just amazing, you know, what you see is what you get with Justin and Jessica. And uh, I just, can we honor them just a moment? I love you, brother. You're such a blessing. Come on. <laughs> Amen. So it is really indeed an honor to talk to you. I want to fire you up today about world missions. I've um, started my journey of world missions my dad was a Southern Baptist pastor, so we were always into missions. But our first check as a church was $100 to a needy case in Baton Rouge. And from that time, my dad gave at least 25% of our budget to missions. At times, it was 50%. And Bethany grew and was blessed to one auditorium after the next, and then when I became pastor at 30, I had been a missionary in Ghana and Nigeria for two years right after I was married. Two weeks after I was married, I left to lead a small missions team there for six weeks, but God called me to Africa. So I have lived in a hardship area, no electricity, no running water, but the joy of planting churches in villages and I've been on a boat all day, going up a river, and swatting tetsy flies, deadly tetsy flies, and sitting on a broom handle, literally, in a little boat for nine hours, and 
getting to this village at night and seeing one lantern on the bank. And our boat pulled up and I saw faces. And there were about 400 people been waiting for us all day. And they swept us out of that boat and brought us to the middle of the village, put us up on like an, a big uh, anthill, a big, big dirt thing that stand up in the middle of the village and demanded that we preach. They'd waited all day from their farms and everything to hear something called the gospel. <clears throat> and out under that night African sky, 400 people, all of them, raised their hand and accepted Christ. And I gave them, that's right, it, it's an amazing feeling. And my little interpreter named Daniel had a bow tie, I remember that. I made him the pastor that night. That's one way to do it, brother. I did it in Russia. We had 3,000 saved in 1989 when Russia first opened at a crusade. And 3,000 people got saved. And we didn't know what to do. And my interpreter said, uh, I announced there's going to be a church this Sunday. And he put his mic down. He said, who's going to be the pastor? And I put my hand on his shoulder. I said, let's pray said, brother, I believe you're going to be the pastor. And you know, that young man took that church, and he's now the number two bishop in the largest Pentecostal denomination in Russia, Nikolai Zalutsky. So I've, missions has been in my blood. When I became a pastor at 30, I was some excited when I realized that the pastor can sort of direct missions funds to wherever he feels led of the Lord. And so I finally had a checkbook for missions. And I started giving 400000 a year. And then I went up 100000 every year from 1983 until we reached $4 million a year for missions. And 28 years later. And then we added it all up when I turned the church over to my son, Jonathan, and Bethany had given $63 million to missions in that 28 years. So I wasn't on the field, but I was able to fund the field for all of those years. You know, you, you'd be amazed at what a church can do that has a focus and a clear path to godly leaders around the world that you can trust, that you know them just like you know each other. It used to be amazed what one church can do. We have a church of about 100 in Grove, Oklahoma. And in 11 years, they planted 110 churches. Whole denominations don't do that. And this church is one of those mighty churches. We call them tiger churches. Some churches are big elephant-type churches. They don't have any resources. But this church managed to plant 80 churches. That's almost a quarter of a million dollars that you gave to plant churches all over the world. And we thank you for that. It's amazing what God is using New Song to do. I'd like to give you just some fire in your belly before you go fill it with Mexican food somewhere today. 1 Timothy 1.15 is a verse that I ran across when I was preaching to Highlands College uh, about six months ago. I don't know why I'd never preached on this verse. 
This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That's a good introduction for a scripture verse. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. We're thankful that he gave his life for the whole world to be saved. Now bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You know, we get that confused. Churches kind of get off on little tangents. I know some churches have built big bowling alleys for their constituents, and some of them get into the horticulture of the yard of the church and all kinds of things that churches get into. And they have hundreds of staff positions doing all kinds of stuff. But I read that verse, and it tells me what is the simplified way to do church. Save sinners. Anything that's not reaching the lost is not why Christ Jesus came. We get off in our purpose. It's easy. It's purpose drift. Well, I want to bring you back to center right now. I appreciate everything about the church, the buildings, the parking lots, the computers, the tractors. All oh, that's wonderful. But I want to tell you about the real reason Christ was nailed to a tree and hung there six hours in mortal anguish as he poured out his blood and carried the sins of all humanity, past, present, and future. It was to save people. You know, if the church can keep that as its mission, it turns into a mandate. And I praise the Lord for convictions, doctrinal convictions. I have my own doctrinal convictions. I believe many doctrines and then, you know, they may differ from someone else. But there are certain doctrines I would die for, like the virgin birth or that Jesus is the Son of God, or that He rose bodily from the dead. I can't compromise on that. That's my conviction. And, and if you put me on a witness stand and say, we're going to kill you if you say that one more time, that Jesus is alive, I'll have to say it again. He's alive. But a conviction is something you would die to defend. Now we have a mandate that's something that you die to achieve. Can I say that again? A conviction is something you die to defend. But a mandate is something you will give your life to accomplish. That's what Jesus did. He had a mandate when he came to earth. And it wasn't to build furniture in a carpenter shop. He did that till he was 30, but his mandate kicked in. And he said, I'll die to save the lost on the cross. And he had his eyes on the cross from day one of his ministry. Now, I want to give you a mandate this morning. I want to give you a reason to be in the church of Jesus Christ. You know, years ago, I was going to preach on a Sunday night about missions. And I just thought to myself, I wonder how many lost people there are in the world. And so I sat down with my pen and 
I started calculating if I had one person, that's about one square foot, and another person behind them, that's another square foot, how long would the line be of unsaved people? So, in modern numbers, we've got 8 billion people on the planet. As of last November, we crossed 8 billion. You say, how many of those are Christians? Well, we don't know. Only God knows. But we know that in encyclopedias, they say there's 2.5 billion out of those 8 billion who are, and I'm going to put it in quotes, Christian, because that counts Catholics, Baptists, everybody, Orthodox, anybody, everybody, front slid, back slid, whoever. Even counting some cats and some rats in the church, I think. Two and a half billion. But let's just use that number. That's a round number. How many does that leave that are lost? Well, old Jethro Bodine on the Beverly Hillbillies, he used to say, naught from naught is naught. If you subtract two and a half billion from eight billion, what does it give you? Mm, five and a half billion. Not people we think they're saved. We know they're not saved. They've either never heard the gospel, that's half of them, or they've heard it but have been careless about it, rejected it. Five and a half billion are not affiliated with any church, anything, any gospel, anything. Now that line, if you take them and give them one square foot each and start that line here, that line would go all the way to the east coast of America. In fact, it'd go all the way around the world and the line would come back in this door and the first person in line shake hands with the last person. Can you believe that? All the way around the world. But if you let the line keep going, it would go 5, 10, 20, 30, 40, 45 times around the earth. Almost the width of this building, full around the whole world. Imagine if a building this size was sitting and people were squeezed, not sitting, but standing, one square foot each. And it's a whole building around the world full of lost people. If you think missions is finished, we have not completed the job. In fact, we've scratched the surface of what needs to happen. People say, well, come Lord Jesus, I want the rapture to happen tomorrow. Well, I'd be delighted if it did. But we've still got five and a half billion that ain't going to make the, the boat. The ark door is going to close. And they're going to perish forever. They're Christless feet marching toward an eternal lake of fire. Now, I know the devil does everything he can to try to get people to think that missions is not important. Let's put it in a closet somewhere and keep tabs on it. But I'm bringing it to the platform this morning. And I'm letting you know what our mandate is. We've got five and a half billion people that are unsaved, lost, without God, and Ephesians says without hope in this world. So the first thing the devil tells people is that you don't really have to go outside your own little town to evangelize. 
What if we just said, well, Plymouth is not all saved. So let's just do evangelism here. We don't worry about the world. Let's just do Plymouth. I had a pastor tell me that. He said, why should I go to other countries when I haven't reached my own city? And he quoted a scripture verse to me. Acts 1.8. You shall be witnesses unto me, Jesus said. And he quoted it this way. First in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria and the remotest parts of the earth. He said, first in Jerusalem. That he kept putting his finger. He said, Bible says first in Jerusalem. I said, can I have your Bible? And I opened it to Acts 1.8. And he looked at it and the word first was not there. What is the word at the beginning of that verse? Both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria the uttermost parts of the earth. It's something we're to do, con not consecutively, but something we're to do simultaneously. All four of those areas. Well, isn't that interesting that one adverb was keeping him from the Great Commission. He thought it said first, so he's just going to win his city. And when he got that, he'd moved to Judea. You know, the enemy doesn't care how little it is, even an adverb. He'll get you to stop missions. Or how about the, the people that believe there's no hell? I've had people tell me that in this generation. They say there's no hell. God's too full of love. He would never send people to hell. And one pastor in our city was preaching that Satan himself was going to be reconciled to God and end up in heaven. Now any doctrine that's got an empty hell and a devil in heaven is not from God. I'm just letting you know that. It's like that comedian on the internet. He, he, he turns his head to one side. He says, hold up. And then he turns it to his way. He goes, something ain't right. Come on, help me. Do it with me. Turn your head to the left. Say, hold up. Something ain't right. Try it one more time. Ready? Something ain't right. And sure enough... The enemy loves to tell us that hell is no threat because it's not real. I heard of a young girl that went to school and raised her hand and told her teacher that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. Well, her teacher was an agnostic. She said, we know a whale can't swallow a human being and he can't live inside there. She said, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah if he was swallowed by a whale. And she said, well, hmm, what if Jonah's in hell? Mocking. The little girl said, well, then you can ask him. <laughs> God uses a donkey. He can use a child also. Oh, the devil is very slick, and he's got many doctrines. I could go into a bunch of them. But I just wanted you to see, first of all, it, it is all of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Secondly, there is a real hell that these people we're talking about this morning are on their way to. And then the third doctrine that really gets me is that people are saved by ignorance. Satan tells people, you don't need to go to the mission field. Why, if they never hear the gospel, they're saved. 
They're going to be saved. God's merciful, and he's going to save them if they never hear the gospel. Well, I found a verse or two in Romans. It sort of dispels that. Look with me. In Romans 10, 14, some of you have asked that question of yourself sometimes. What about the people in Tanzania or, or Moose's armpit, Manitoba, or wherever it is? They never heard the gospel. All right? How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? There's four questions in these verses. How are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? So we're talking about people in those verses who have never heard the gospel. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And, conjunction, how are they to preach unless they are sent? The early church sent preachers, Paul, Barnabas, Paul and Silas, they sent them out. The early church, the local church, is the sending arm of the Great Commission. That's New Song. Now, whether we physically go or we empower a national worker in their own country to plant a church, we're sending them. And when we send them back up from the bottom and go up, we send them, they preach. Those who have never heard, hear, and believe, and those who believe call on him and are saved. And he quotes the verse, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is a process that has to be followed for people to be saved, not just leaving them alone and trusting that their ignorance is going to save them. If that were the case, and there were a thousand people on an island who had never heard the gospel, what should we do? Well, according to that wrong doctrine, we leave them alone. Because if they never hear, they're all saved by their ignorance. But if a missionary goes and speaks the gospel and half of them accept and half of them reject he's done more harm than good because before he went they were already saved by their ignorance that's so foolish preachers have to be involved for people to be saved they have to hear and believe and call no these five and a half billion people are actually lost Now we think, what can we do about it? We have jobs, we have homes, we live here in the United States. Well, the one thing I discovered as a pastor is I could make a huge money when I had financial uh, I could make a huge difference when I had financial resources. Because I could send. And we have empowered well over 20,000 pastors in surge to plant a church. I found one in Nicaragua. We planted Pastor Justin with $500. He has 2,000 in his church now. He's one of the largest churches in Nicaragua. And it only costs us $500 to get him off the ground. 
I could tell you hundreds of stories of what we've seen through national pastors around the world. But now we're multiplying it through training. Just in March alone, one zone of surge trained 1,200 new pastors. One in March. This thing is multiplying so fast. I think it's the final days. I think it's the Great Commission harvest. I think it's the heart of Almighty God beating for His children that are lost and away from God. You know, a friend of mine's house was burning down in the middle of the night. A smoke alarm went off in a bag in the, in the pantry. He had never installed it, but it had a battery in it. And he got his whole family out of the house, he thought. But two children were not with him. They had five children. He grabbed one of them and pulled her down the hall and got her out. But when she got out, her, his wife says, little Paul is still inside, six years old. And he ran in and in the flames, so hot that his contact lenses fused to his eyes for three days. It took him three days to get those contacts off. He rescued Paul. You say, why did he go into the fire? He had four out of his five kids already in the front yard. Because you don't think percentages with your children. You think names. Babies, boy, girl, six years old. Do you know my friend is already in heaven, but his son took the church Seven years ago, you know who that son was that took his church? Little Paul that he rescued. He's the pastor of a 10,000-member church now because his daddy ran into that burning building. When we get a mandate, we got to do whatever we got to do to make it happen. And all that boils down to for most of us is just giving sacrificially. A man stopped me in the lobby as I was walking across to this service. He said, God bless me. I was able to plant one of those churches for $3,000. He said, I want to do it again. Well, see, unless God gives us finances, we don't have the money. We spend most of our money just making our bills and all of that. So how are we going to reach five and a half billion people? I'm going to give you a statement. First of all, if a church does not have a mandate... They really don't need any more money. Churches that have no vision, people are perishing. Churches that never get up and say, we're going to plant a church in, like our churches in San Juan, Puerto Rico. It's a million dollars to plant a church in the capital of Puerto Rico. And Bethany people have been giving toward that for months. We're getting close to the million dollars. Well, see... Without a vision, though, you don't need any money. Churches are closing everywhere. In Scotland, 250 Presbyterian churches have closed in the last three years. No members. We're buying a building from a church in Houma, Louisiana. Presbyterian church seats 300. Ten people attend on Sunday morning. Ten. They moved to the basement of the church. And nobody's been in the auditorium for several years now. Oh, that's how the devil loves to operate. Let me tell you something. When God gives a church a million-dollar vision, He must intend to bless the people in the pews with the money to fulfill that vision. 
And let me tell you, y'all are playing the prayer of Jabez. Bless me indeed. Say it out loud. Bless me indeed. What well, one guy said, we shouldn't pray for God to bless you. That's unspiritual. Oh, is that right? How many churches have you planted around the world, dear brother? Because they don't give you free tickets to Europe or to South America or Japan to go plant church. They don't do that. It takes finances. But when we pray, bless me indeed, enlarge my territory, what are we praying? Lord, enlarge the ability I have financially to make a difference. Let your hand be with me. Keep me from harm. Look at this verse in 2 Corinthians. Paul taught this. As your faith grows or stretches, we will be, that's the missionary talking, according to our sphere or the countries that we're able to get to, enlarged even more by you because your faith grew. I'm praying your faith stretches here today. In fact, put your arms out in front of you like this. Everybody, put, put your hands out in front of you. And I want you to do this. Say, stretch your faith. Come on, do it. Are you ready? I want to hear you. Now, slap somebody that's sleeping next to you when you do it this time. Come on. What are we going to do in church this morning? We're going to... Now, I want to hear it like you would be... If you're yelling for the Indiana Hoosers in the finals of the NCAA tournament, what are we going to do this year? We're going to stretch our faith. Well, see, he said, we will be able to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. Get the picture. God has to bless you in order to enlarge the missionaries or surge or whoever you're giving it to so they can reach the regions beyond. Don't get this super spiritual thing that, no, I don't want to be blessed now. Well, the Lord told Abraham, I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. You got to get that inside. So here's three ways you can stretch your faith. First is a need. You stretch your faith with a need. The lady in the Bible that had no money and bills and creditors knocking on her door, Elisha said, go get a bunch of pots and put them in your living room. Take your little pot of oil and start pouring. It's like she hooked it to the Alaska pipeline and she filled every one of those pots till she came to the last drop for the last pot. In other words, the measure of her pots determined the measure of her miracle. If you'll stretch your faith with a need, God will bless you. God will, he did it with the 5,000. Little boy gave him his lunch and it attracted the resources and they fed all those people. The second way you stretch your faith is with a dream. A dream. You see, a dream is when the Holy Spirit shows you something before it happens. He shows you a vision, a dream. And then he intends to give you the finances to do it. And I can't go into it. 
But we had one person in our church believe God for a million dollars to pay for a Reinhard Bonnke crusade. It wasn't me. It was a young businessman. And he did a project for his company and made a million dollar bonus. A million dollar bonus. And gave every penny of it to a crusade in Africa for Brother Bonnke. We went to the crusade and there were 1.1 million people saved in that crusade. A dollar a person to be saved from a bonus. He had a dream. I don't know what your dream is. Never lose your dream. If you don't have a dream, your faith never grows. But the last way you stretch your faith is with a seed. You take that dream and you compress it down into a seed and you plant it in the kingdom of God. You know, an acorn contains a tree. When I plant my dream as a seed, whether it's my kids to be saved, healing in my body, a business I'm starting, getting a college degree, whatever it is, whatever my dream is, I, I take a seed and I plant it. God will multiply it. Brother Osteen told about a little maid in his church, and they all opened a Joseph Storehouse account in their church. This is Joel Osteen's son, John Osteen. All of their members, and this little maid opened a Joseph Storehouse, said, Lord, if you give me unexpected income, I won't spend it. I'll put it in my account for missions. And the lady she worked for sent her to the mall to buy something. And when she parked, she saw $20 blowing across the parking lot, Brother Osteen said. She ran and grabbed it and looked around the parking lot and said, does this belong to anybody? She probably said, does this belong to anybody? <laughs> Nobody came forward. So she thought, hot diggity dog, I'm going to go buy me something inside. And then she remembered, didn't you ask me for money for world missions? She said, yes, Lord, I did. He said, put it in your account. And she did. Put it in her Joseph Storehouse account. A few months later, Brother Osteen said, the lady she worked for died. And to the surprise of all her family, she left her entire estate to that little maid. He said she'll never work another day in her life. I'm not saying we give to get. We, we give to obey. And God is going to bless you. I'd like you to close your eyes with me just a moment. If you're in this service, and you're one of those people Jesus did the mandate for, he got on the cross and was nailed with no clothes on hands and feet in the cold April air of Jerusalem. He could have almost frozen to death out there. Six hours he hung there for me. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul continued, of whom I am chief. You may feel like the biggest sinner in the world but that blood of Jesus can reach so down deep into your soul. He can pull out everything that's ugly, 
unclean, corrupt out of our hearts because I was full of it, full of it. And the Lord washed me as white as snow. If you're in here today and you would say, I need forgiveness, and I'm not saying that I'm righteous, I know that I'm unrighteous. And I humble myself and I need forgiveness. I'd like to include you in a prayer of salvation. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners because he loves sinners. If you're here and you've never met Christ Jesus, he's never come into your heart, you've never surrendered your life to him. Here's what I want to do. No one else is looking. I'm going to look from left to right. And I want every person here that wants that prayer to include you. Nobody's looking. We're not going to embarrass you or point you out. I promise that. But what I want you to do, listen carefully, without hesitation right now, I want you to slip up your hand and hold it up toward God and leave it there a minute and say, I want that prayer in my life. Do it right now. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Twelve, thirteen more people. Put your hands down and just when you drop it, put it over your heart. See, this church is having 25 people a weekend saved. 17 baptized in water last Sunday. There's a revival going on in New Song Church. Everybody pray it out loud. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you came to save sinners. You died in my place, and I receive you. I, I surrender to you, and I make you my Lord. Forgive my past and write my name in heaven. Let's all lift our hands wide now, everybody, as wide as your faith. And I'm going to pray a blessing over this church. And whatever direction and vision Pastor Justin tells you, you're going to say, God is blessing me. That's why he's been praying the prayer of Jabez. I believe the Lord showed him to do that. In the name of Jesus Christ, I release the blessing of Almighty God upon every housewife, every student, every businessman and woman. And I bind the spirit of the enemy destroying their finances, stealing their finances. And I loose the blessing of Abraham upon you that you might be a blessing. And through you, all nations of the earth would be blessed. Thank you, Lord God, for not tens and hundreds, but thousands of dollars and hundreds of thousands pouring through them with raises and bonuses and increases and inheritances, even inventions, Lord. You will bless those with a need, with a dream, and with a seed. You will stretch their faith to reach those final 45 lines of people. And we thank you for it today in the mighty name of Jesus. Now put those hands together. Let's give God praise for his blessing. Come on, new song. Let's praise God a little bit for his blessing. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in what God is doing through your life. And we would love to continue on that journey with you. 
To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, all you have to do is go to mynsc.org contact. Thank you to all of you who consistently give, serve, and pray. You are the ones who God is using to make a difference in our community as we live out our mission of leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Thank you for watching. We hope you tune in next week.